Let me go ahead and read for us the, the passage that is on the screen. If you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to John chapter 10, we'll begin there. But let me read this for us just so we're on the same page. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who have come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming, and he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Well, today, uh, as, as we begin, we're going to dive into that passage, but before we do that, I want to read for us another Psalm that talks, or another passage of scripture that really talks a lot about the shepherd. It's a famous psalm, probably the most famous psalm. Even people who don't go to church know this psalm. Psalm 23 says this It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, He leads me beside peaceful streams, He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. and My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house 
of the Lord forever. I don't know how many times I've read that psalm at funerals or read it to people who were in the hospital because of the trial they were facing. And it's reassuring to think about the way that God acts as our shepherd, the way that he cares for us. If we were to dive into all of the details of of all that that psalm entails as it thinks through the, the working of a shepherd with his sheep, and we would see the way that God works in our lives, I think we would be amazed. You see, the heart of God is as a shepherd for his sheep. And in the passage that we're looking at today, we, we're seeing, we get to see that Jesus demonstrates that he is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. And so as, as I mentioned before, if you have your copy of God's word and want to open to John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at the first 21 verses of that chapter. Unfortunately, we don't have slides because I was at the Frederick Rescue Mission camp all week and the sermon didn't get written in time to get slides together. So in your outline, you can just try to take notes if you'd like or doodle or whatever you would like to do. But let me just give us a little bit of context. If you remember, the last time we looked at the book of John, we had just kind of finished up a discussion on the Feast of Tabernacles, the, uh, the time in the fall when the Israelites would gather together near the temple and they would live in, in tents. They would dwell there. And we saw Jesus taking two big um, metaphors that were happening, light and water, and basically saying, I am the light of the world and I am the spring of living water. And he he really went into a lot of controversy, a lot of conversations with religious leaders at that time. Jumping here into into chapter 10, it's it's a little bit of an odd break because we don't know if it's a continuation of the Feast of Tabernacles or if it's something else that's going on a little bit later, which we're going to look at next week, and that is the, the Festival of Hanukkah or the Festival of Dedication. But one thing we do get to see is that In this, in verse 21, they actually reference the healing of the blind man, which kind of makes you think, well, maybe it's going back that way. In any case, this is the passage that's before us. And if you want to take your notes, I have two main points. And the first is this, that Jesus is the rightful shepherd. Jesus is the rightful and even good shepherd. We see this in verses 1 through 4 and and verse 11. Let me read that again for us. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And then down in verse 11, he says plainly, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is essentially saying to them, look, I am the rightful shepherd. I am here to care for my sheep. One of the commentators that I, I like to read is a guy named uh, Bruce Milne, and, and he noted five things that Jesus points out in these verses, five things that he asserts as being a good shepherd. And the first is this, is the appointment that he enters. You see, Jesus comes about it being the, being the rightful, the good shepherd, the right way. He comes in through the door. He comes in the way that God had anointed him or appointed for him to go. 
He is entering the way that God had ordained. And, and, I, and as we'll see in a minute, I think he's actually fulfilling something that God had said through the prophet Ezekiel hundreds of years earlier. That this is a fulfillment of that. But the second thing, not only did, is, he, is, he, uh, is he the rightful shepherd because of the appointment he enters, but because of the response he evokes. You see, the sheep recognize his voice and respond. I think it's important for us to understand that for those who are called into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is something comforting. There is something reassuring when we hear his word, when we read it, when we understand his heart. When we, can, we can't hear him with our ears, but when we read his word, when we consider what he teaches, it prompts us to repent of our sin and to obey and to follow. But the third thing that uh, Milne points out is the call that he issues. See, not only does Jesus call his sheep, but he calls them by name. He calls them by name. You know, in the Middle Eastern society, a shepherd would know his sheep that way. They might not give him unique names like we would, but they might notify them, oh, this is the, the black sheep with the white nose, this is the white sheep with the black nose, this is the one with the brown spots, and all these kind of things. So they would identify their sheep, and the sheep would hear the, the shepherd's voice and would respond. As you guys may know, uh, Zoe is working with Glenn and Lisa with the goats that they have, and their herd is getting a little bit bigger. Not quite as big as Nathan's herd, but it's getting a little bit bigger. And, and one of the unique things is that they love to call their, their sheep by name. So in their herd, we've got the twins, uh, Snowball and Flurry. And these guys were named that because they were born on a snowy day in March, the same snowy day. And one of them has slightly different things, you know, on the side, brown with some white spots. So it looks like a snowball. Well, one of them had, had uh, kids, had baby goats. And one got called Blizzard because you need to have it correspond with the mother's name. And the other one got called Oreo because what colors do you think it was? Black and white. Well, in their herd, they also have who happened to be the mom of the twins, not born there, but, the, you know, the, he got them later. There's also Fancy, whose name is not F-A-N-C-Y, but P-H-N-C-Y because of the father's name, who also had a weird P-H sound. And then you have these two little babies that are yet to be, actually three little babies who are yet to be named. And then there's the one oddball of the whole group, this little black pygmy with a long goatee, and little horns, well, actually pretty big horns. And her name is Myrtle. And she is the spitfire of the group. She's a different breed from all the others. But it's so fun to go and work. We've been going Saturday mornings to, to milk the goats that need to be milked and feeding the others. And, and uh, we're looking forward to bottle feeding the new baby. And it's just so fun to be able to go and call these guys by name and hear them respond. Now, goats are different than sheep. I don't know that they listen quite as well as sheep might, but Nathan could tell you more than I can. But think about this. Jesus knows us by name. He knows you by name. So that means when he calls you into salvation, when he calls your name and says, I want you to follow me, he understands the difficulty that it's going to be. He understands the background that you've experienced. He understands the challenges you've been through. When he calls you into some step of faith, 
Maybe he calls you into missions. Maybe he calls you into full-time ministry. Maybe he calls you just to teach a class. He knows the challenge that that will be. He knows the outcome. So if he is calling you, rest assured he knows you, your strengths, your weaknesses, the baggage in your life. He knows you. But in addition to, in addition to uh, all of these things, he, Milne notes that Jesus is the rightful shepherd because of the direction he provides. See, because the sheep hear his voice, they know his voice, they want to follow him. They want to go where he leads. He is a trustworthy shepherd. He will not lead us into needless danger. Every circumstance, every encounter, every difficulty, every illness, every broken shoulder, every fall, everything he is leading us through with good reason. As we follow his teaching, we find that his ways bring life to to us and to those around us. His teachings help us fulfill the commands of God. His teachings, get this, his teachings have no remorse or no regret in them. Unlike the teachings of the world. But there's one last thing that that Milne notes, the fifth element of Jesus being the rightful shepherd is the obedience that he elicits. The sheep follow him. We follow him follow him because we know his voice. So Jesus steps into this role as being the rightful shepherd of the flock of God, but in doing this, he also accuses the current leaders, the people, the leaders of the people of Israel, and accuses them of being false shepherds, which is something that they had been accused, accused of before. In Ezekiel chapter 34, it's an entire chapter where God calls out the leaders of Israel. And he calls them for being wicked shepherds, for not caring for the flock, for not feeding them, for not comforting them in times of need. And then finally, God responds to them in Exodus 34, 15 to 16, where he says, I myself tend my sheep, and I will give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful, and I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And in many ways, Jesus' teaching on this demonstrates how he fulfills this passage. Being God incarnate, God in flesh, he is demonstrating that he is the shepherd of the sheep. In fact, elsewhere in the book of Luke, verse uh, 19, verse 10, He says that I have come to seek and to save that was lost. Remember, God said, I'm going to seek out my lost sheep. But as we continue looking at this passage, we get to see one other thing. Not only is Jesus the rightful shepherd, but secondly, he gathers his flock. And we see this in verses 7 through 18. And I'm not going to read all of that right now. But he cha- it's interesting, he changes the metaphor a bit. He, he talks about, you know, being the sheepfold. And then he says, basically, I'm the door. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Can I just tell you something really silly? When I was young, I loved Star Wars. I loved spacey stuff. I used to kind of want to be an astronaut because I thought it was like Star Wars. When I first read that verse, that I have sheep that are not of this fold, you know what my first thought was? People on other planets. But no, I was wrong. There might be people on other planets, and that may be a little bit of what, but I think he's really talking about Gentiles. He's talking about people who are not already the people of God. And he's saying, I have Gentiles that I need to gather into my fold so that there, I love this, there will be one flock, not Jews and Gentiles, not Jews and Greeks, one flock with one shepherd. You see, in gathering the flock, he grants entry to the fold of God. He is the only means by which we can uh, enter into the fold of God. We get to respond to the calling of his voice and gain access to the kingdom of God, but only through Jesus Christ. There are many who want to say that all roads lead to God, that every religion and belief system has similarities. They all kind of overlap. So it's as though God is at the top of the mountain and no matter what way you go to get to him, it's all good. The challenge is we're not paying attention to what God says in his word, in his revealed word about the only way. Later on in the book of John, we're going to see it says, I am the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But Jesus and God here say that Jesus is the door and that as he calls people by name to join the fold, he is the means by which they must enter. Entry is not granted by good works or changing thinking or enlightenment. Entry is granted only through Jesus Christ. But in addition to gathering the flock, I was wrong. I don't have two points. I have three. In addition to gathering the flock of God, the third thing is Jesus guards the flock. And this is also in verses 11 to 18. Because a shepherd has special care for their own sheep, he's willing to do extraordinary things. Look at verse, uh, starting in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and, gat- and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. If you think back to another famous shepherd, David, when he was about to face Goliath, he, he told King Saul, he said, I can go face this guy because when lions and bears would come and, and come after the sheep of my father's fold, I would defend them. I would kill them with my bare hands. In the Middle East, shepherds in, in that culture would lay down at night. They'd make sure their, their sheep were in a cave or in a pen, and then they would lay down at the door so that they could hear what's going on. 
If, if a predator came, they would hear it rustling the grass or moving the stones, and so they would awaken to defend the sheep. If a robber or a thief was coming close by again, they would get up. They would sacrifice sleep in order to defend the sheep. And in a similar way, we see Jesus talking about laying down his life. And in fact, I find it interesting, the, the way that he said, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. I think he's very clearly talking about foretelling his death and resurrection. He's telling him, I'm, I'm laying down my life so that I may guard you from the eternal punishment that is due you because of your sin. And I'm going to take it up again so that I may conquer death once and for all, promising eternal life to each of us if we would simply respond. And by becoming the perfect sacrifice, he guards us from that eternal separation from God. I want you to understand how much he, as the good shepherd, cares for you. Not only does he do that for all eternity, which would be enough, but then he gives us his word. He gives us his teaching that we might spend time, that we might understand. You see, he, he says the thief in, in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, as we learn, as we learn to obey Jesus' teaching, we work toward an abundant life, a life of flourishing. See, when we follow his word, we get, to, we get to live in such a way that we honor God. All the commands that God has laid out for us, he's given us instruction on how we might fulfill them, ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ working in and through us. And it's not to say that there won't be difficulties. In fact, there is a significant correlation between suffering and the kingdom of God. But when we humble ourselves before the word of God, when we understand what it says and seek to live our lives in that way, there is abundant life. Let me illustrate this a little bit of a different way because, you know, a lot of times people simply want to be happy, right? I just want to be happy. I want to do something that makes me feel good. Well, in our house, we have a, a shoebox right by the door, and in the shoebox is a little basket, and in that basket, we keep most of our keys. I don't keep my keys there because I'm a little anal retentive, and I have to keep them in my pocket or right by my bed stand. But all the keys to our cars, our house, so if you come to our house, you know where the keys are so you can grab them. So, but guess who else knows where the keys are in our house? All of our kids. So imagine this, our, our older two kids who are uh, 23 and 21 now, before they could drive, they could have had access to our keys. And they could have said, hey, I want to just have fun. I want to be happy. So let me go take the keys to mom's car or dad's car and start it and just go somewhere. And they probably could have figured out how to turn it on. And some of you may have childhood stories of turning on a car and putting it in gear and doing things that you really shouldn't have done. And it would make them feel so happy for about 10 seconds until backing out of our driveway, they end up in the fire, uh, fire hydrant or in the ditch or in our neighbor's car. And then we have other problems. You see, be, but instead what we did, and none of our kids did that, thankfully. 
But instead, as they got closer, we would give them more and more things to do. We'd say, hey, go start the car. In fact, I started doing this recently with Zoe because my car's a stick shift. So you have to put in the clutch all the way to the floor and then crank it all the way over to, to get it to start. So I'm trying to get her used to that because next year, this time, she will have her learner's permit and will be driving. Um, but... And then as, as our kids got older, they get their learner's permit, and then we take them on the road and in parking lots. And we do little things to help them understand how to drive. And so that when they got there, they would submit to our teaching so that when they got to the place where they were ready to t- take and hopefully pass the test, they could drive on their own. And it was not happy for a while, but they're so much happier now that they didn't... Uh, didn't get, get it out of order. Unfortunately for me, when I was learning to drive, I was one of those guys who on the day I could get my learner's permit, I went and got it. And on the day I could get my license, I went and got it. And then drove my mom home and then drove to school all by myself. And, um, but before, it, back when I took driver's ed, I, I, I learned how to drive on a stick shift. And so bef- and back then, you didn't have to have your permit when when instructors would take you on the road. And so I had an instructor take me to a parking lot and he showed me how to do, how to work the clutch. So for a long time, we went around this parking lot and it happened to be about a mile from my house. So sometime later, before I had my learner's permit, I asked my mom, I said, mom, can we go just do some clutch control in the parking lot? And so I, she said yes. And so she drove over there and then I got in the, in the driver's seat of this church um, it didn't end as badly as the incident that we had here a couple months back. But so anyways, we drove around for about a half hour or an hour and I learned clutch control and I, everything was going great. I was feeling confident. I was happy. I was good. And then I said, mom, can I drive home? I didn't have my learner's permit yet. It's only a mile or so away. And she said, yes. So she's there in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. And you know what happened? As soon as I pulled out onto the street, my gut, my butterflies were all flying out of order in my stomach because I knew I was wrong. And we pulled out on the road and we got going and we got to a stoplight. And you know what happens when you're new at the clutch? The light turns red and you think, okay. Light turns green and then what happens? You stall the car. And my mom starts panicking. She's freaking out. Joel, start the car. There's a police officer that drives by. And, our, and we're just stressed out. And I get the car going, and finally we make it home. And that was the last time I ever asked my mom if I could drive without my driver's license, without a permit. Because, and I tell you that, because what was happening, I have regrets. It worked out fine. But had I been caught, I could have been delayed getting my license for months or years. My mom could have had other ramifications. There were big, all all in my hope of being happy, I went outside of what, in this case, the word of God says, honor the governing authorities. The governing authorities had placed laws in place that I should have obeyed, but because I wanted to be happy, I wanted to be risky. I went out beyond what was good. So I, I, I tell you that because I think it's important for us as we read God's word to align our lives to the precepts that are there because we're going to read things and we're going to say, no, 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 God, God, that's just so antiquated. That's just so old. What? That's so traditional. 
And especially as we hear all these voices from around us, it's important that we say, God, what are you saying in your word? Because in the teaching of God's word, in what Jesus has revealed to us in the word of God, we find guarding, we find protection. Not only is he guarding us for eternity, but he is guarding us for daily life. Let me encourage you, uh, write down this in in your notes. Proverbs chapter 9. I'm not going to read it right now. But Proverbs chapter 9 is a really beautiful chapter. And in it, the the guy who's writing the Proverbs, I think it's Solomon at that point, basically shows two contrary worldviews. He says wisdom is calling and folly is calling. And their voices are similar. Their outcomes are very different. I want to encourage you to just go read that because I think when we align ourselves with the word of God, we're hearing the voice of wisdom and we're hearing it say, come and live. Come and live, as Jesus says here, an abundant life. So what? What what do we need to do with all this? Let me just give us three things to think about. The first one is this. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to hear the voice of God calling your name. Maybe he's saying, I want you to be my my child. I want you to be part of my flock. And entry essentially means repenting of your sin, turning and trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you'd like to have a conversation about that this week, I'll be happy to open the word of God and help you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But for those of you who are followers of Christ, who would call yourself a Christian, the question I have to ask you and ask me is, will we follow where he leads? You know, it may be some super special thing, but it may be just following him to be faithful in an ordinary, mundane life. Being faithful in these little things, being obedient to what he says in his word, aligning our lives with him. And finally, Where do we need to listen to the voice of Jesus or the word of God as we make decisions or as we form opinions about things that are happening in the world around us? Where do we need to maybe turn off the voices that are saying, oh, you need to think this, or if you don't do this, you're hateful, or if you think that way, you're you're bigoted. No, what is the word of God saying? Because in here, in his word, when we align our lives with what he has written here, we find peace, abundant life, purpose. And ultimately, it only happens because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to gather, the opportunity to worship God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and to follow where you lead. God, help us to honor you as men and women, as boys and girls who are called your sheep. Thank you for the way that you guide us. Thank you for the way that you guard us. Thank you for the way that you gather us into your fold. 
be glorified as we seek to be faithful before you. In Jesus' name, amen.